Hi, and welcome to the Crossroads in Culture podcast. I'm your host, Sean Bernard, and we are starting a new podcast where we're going to be focusing on life, ministry, and culture. How do we navigate this world that we live in in a way um, that approaches issues that we face in this world, in life, ministry, and culture, from a biblical perspective. I think that is so incredibly important. And so we're going to be asking some questions. Maybe, maybe the, they're questions that, that the church hasn't asked regarding culture, and maybe the church needs to answer questions uh, that culture has that we've not been answering. How do we deal with some of these issues that we really need to dive deeply into and look at from a biblical perspective? Um, there's a lot going on in our culture today, as you know. I mean, there's just it's it, it seems overwhelming. It's it's discouraging at times. But the one thing that I hold on to is the fact that God is sovereign sovereign over all creation, and that we can trust Him. And in the end, all of this, He is saying something. He is teaching us something, and that we would do well to do what uh, Christ called the churches to do, specifically in the Book of Revelation that we would be those who have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. So this podcast is going to be addressing a lot of different issues in those three specific areas. In this episode specifically, we're going to be looking at this fallacious argument of from womb to tomb. And what I mean by that is is that we have some within evangelical circles who would claim to be pro-life, yet they are pro-abortion. I know that sounds asinine. I know that sounds completely oxymoronic. Uh, and it really is. But we're going to look, what does God's Word have to say about this, and how do we address this? In this political culture, this climate that we're in right now, people are actually going to the polls today. This is Election Day, November the 3rd. And and this is not trying to talk about this after the fact. This is, this is something that's going to continue to be an issue uh, within the church and even outside the church as well. And I think it would serve us well as followers of Jesus in knowing how do we respond to this? And are we really thinking through this from a biblical perspective, not from a cultural perspective with a lot of voices that are speaking into this? And so how do we hold true to what Scripture says? You know, every person, whether they acknowledge the existence of God or not, has been created in the image of the one true God. We find that in in Genesis chapter 1, we see that. And because of that truth, which doesn't hinge on anyone's opinion, by the way, it doesn't hinge on my opinion or your opinion, it's, it's based upon the truth of God's Word, and, and, and that every person has intrinsic value and worth. There, there's nothing ambiguous about God's view regarding life in the womb, as Scripture clearly points out in passages such as Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, and Psalm 139. Uh, that whole chapter, that whole psalm in the book of Exodus, chapter 21. And there are, there are many others that, that, that I could mention as well, that we are all image bearers of God, that life is precious to God. Yet there's this fallacious argument of from womb to tomb that's out there, this growing theme, specifically among those who are seeking to justify their reconciliation of their political persuasions that support a, a political ideology and, and really the genocidal reality of abortion. By, by claiming that pro-life um, doesn't have to include uh, being anti-abortion. You can actually be pro-abortion and be pro-life, at least according to some of these evangelicals, um, and that other aspects of life need to be 
more important. Let me, let me just give you one example. There is a group that is known as the Pro-Life Evangelicals for Biden, former Vice President Biden, who actually is running against President Trump in this election. Again, the voting is going on today. There is a group called Pro-Life Evangelicals for Biden, and they have a website. I'm not going to give you the website because really there's no need to go there. You can Google it, and I'm sure Google is monitoring everything you do anyway. Nonetheless, you can actually find this website, and they have this statement that says, join the movement. Um, and some of the people that have actually joined this movement and have signed this statement, and I'm going to read the statement to you in just a moment, have signed the statement are people like Richard Mauff, who was, who was the president emeritus of Fuller Seminary, John Huffman, the board chair emeritus of Christianity Today, um, as well as Brenda Salter McNeil, um, who is a professor, Rod, Ron Sider, who is president emeritus uh, for Evangel Evangelicals for Social Action. And then one that really surprised me as well, Richard Foster, who wrote the book Celebration of Discipline. He and, and these I've just mentioned and many others, I think there's like 4,000 evangelicals have signed this statement um, regarding um, being pro-abortion yet calling themselves pro-life. On the website it says, and I'm quoting this, as pro-life evangelicals, we disagree with Vice President Biden and the Democratic platform on the issue of abortion. Well, I'm going to stop there for a moment, because even that of itself would seem to suggest that if you are pro-life and you do not agree in abortion, that how could you side with the candidate that is one of the most liberal and pro-abortion candidates that we've ever seen? Not only Vice President Biden, but also his running mate, Kamala Harris, um, but the quote goes on to say this. This is on their website, evangelicals that are for Biden uh, but would call themselves pro-life. It says, we believe a biblically shaped commitment to the sanctity of human life compels us to a consistent ethic of life that affirms the sanctity of human life from beginning to end. It goes on to say, poverty kills millions every year. So does lack of health care and smoking. Racism kills Unless we quickly make major changes, devastating climate change will kill tens of millions. Poverty, lack of accessible health care services, smoking, racism, and climate change are all pro-life issues. For these reasons, we believe that a balance, that on balance, Joe Biden's policies are more consistent with the biblically shaped ethic of life than those of Donald Trump. End quote. Now, as a believer in Jesus and one who holds true what the Scriptures teach, I have a real problem with that. I, I don't know. All these other issues, you could argue about them being pro-life issues, whether it be climate change or whatever your stance is on that. I mean, I've got an opinion, but that's not for this episode on the podcast. Or uh, child poverty, that absolutely is an issue. And yes, that is, I believe, part of a pro-life. If you want to frame it in the way that they framed it, then yes, how do we help those who are living and help them become healthier? Healthcare services. I'm going to talk about that in just a few moments after I give you some statistics and what can we do differently to speak to that. But to say that you're pro-life and be pro-abortion makes no sense whatsoever but even more so, it is biblically fallacious. It is wrong. It is an error. It is a distortion of biblical truth. And so we, we, can, we can look at this and say, yes, this is right, and it's noble um, to care for all life from womb to tomb, but, 
but caring for life from womb to tomb, it, it can't even be a thought. Uh, uh, if life itself, which by the way, science has validated, begins at conception. I mean, since we're we're all about following the science, right? We've heard that phraseology um, quite often over the last several months um, as we've gone through this pandemic of COVID-19. We've heard this phrase, we've got to follow the science, we've got to follow the data. It's I just find it interesting when it comes to things such as um, gender or when it comes to issues of 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 a baby in the womb of a mother and 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 that that life beginning con- conception which science validates gender and and conception um, within the womb as being life we suddenly want to throw the science out so if we're going to be consistent let, let's let's just be consistent and say what the Bible has already validated which is life begins at conception so so what some within the Christian community are asking is this, can a person be a Christian and vote for or support a, a candidate who's pro-abortion? So to go one step further, there's some within the, the Christian community, I'll, I'll put that, or evangelical circles, who maybe have moved past the question, they're seeking to justify why they, as a Christian, are able to vote for a pro-abortion candidate. So going back to that group, the the, the evangelicals for Biden, they're the ones who would fall into this camp. They, they have... They've moved past the question, and now they're trying to justify why they, as a Christian, and I'm going to put that in quotes, are able to vote for a pro-abortion candidate. So the truth is that there's no way to soften this harsh reality that abortion is the murder of an unborn child. right? And if that lands hard and sets uncomfortably on your heart, your mind, and your soul, then it should. And if it doesn't, then, then I think there's a much deeper issue. So I, I want to give you some facts. We're regarding abortion um, and and looking at Planned Parenthood as well, that um, is all it is about is making money, harvesting baby parts. We've seen this. It's been uncovered, even though the media may, doesn't want to report it, and people try to silence these videos that have come out um, that speak to the truth of what Planned Parenthood is really about. I want to give you some statistics. Now, these stats don't come from um, conservative groups um, that you would think. I know that there are some who would say, well, if you're quoting something from Fox News or Breitbart or any other conservative uh, media outlet, um, then it has no validity whatsoever, which to me doesn't make any sense whatsoever. In all honesty, it seems as though that true reporting is happening more in those forms, in those places, um, than what we see in uh, the media that we have right now with major networks. So, so, but I've, I'm, I've validated and I've, I've, um, looked at these statistics, um, tried to go back to the original source um, and and want to, to let you know where you can find these as well. So this isn't just me making something up or pulling it out of the air. This is, this is factual data regarding abortion. So here's, here's the first fact. Since Roe v. Wade legalized abortion in 1973, over 60 million babies have been aborted. 60 million babies. So in 47 years... We've seen 60 million babies, pre-born children, that have been aborted. And you're telling me that's not genocide or infanticide? Now, what, to try to grasp the, the genocidal and the infanticidal reality that abortion is, that's more than almost, almost 10 times the loss of life of the Holocaust, which uh, were 6 million Jews, and the loss of American lives in all U.S. wars from the Revolutionary War to the Global War on Terror which that was a little bit over a million lives. So you take the six million lives of the Jewish people who were, who were 
executed, killed during the Holocaust, and the little bit over one million uh, of our U.S. soldiers killed in the wars from Revolutionary War all the way to the global war on terror, and that's that's a little bit over seven million. That still doesn't reach the number of the 60 million babies who've been aborted since 1973. So, so these loss of lives in the Holocaust and, and U.S. wars combine uh, uh, over a period spanning 240 years. Or if if you can't grasp that, 10 times the loss of life of the Holocaust and these U.S. wars that we've been involved with over 240 years, consider this, that it's equal to the 60, over 60 million people that are currently living in the country of Italy. So in 47 years, the United States of America has murdered over 60 million unborn children. 60 million. Take Italy off the map, and that would show you um, how many children have been aborted, have been murdered since 1973. That's an abomination. And for someone who's a follower of Jesus to say, well, that's okay, as long as, we, as long as we're able to focus on childhood poverty and health care services for, for others and long-term care and climate change, that, yeah, we can, we can justify the murder of 60 million unborn children. Th- that is, that is I, I can't even wrap my mind around that. It's utterly ridiculous. It's insane is what it is. Here's, a, here's another fact, that abortion in America has contributed to the greatest decline in the African-American population since the first black slaves arrived in the Americas in the 1600s. Now, according to U.S. Census data, and this is, this is their data. This isn't, again, something that, that we've made up. It was reported in the Washington Examiner on February 28, 2020, this year. But this is U.S. Census data that there were 18 million, 871,831 African-American citizens in 1960. But since Roe versus Wade legalized abortion in 1973, abortion has killed an estimated 20 million African-American babies. That's more than the entire black population of 1960. Here's another fact. 86% of Planned Parenthood's abortion facilities are in or near minority neighborhoods, specifically the 25 U.S. counties with the most abortions. Now, these 25 counties contain 19% of the U.S. population, and they're home to 28% of the U.S. African-American population and 37% of the U.S. Hispanic Latino population. In 12 of these counties, African-Americans and Hispanics Latinos are more than 50% of the population. So in contrast, African-Americans are only 12.6% of the U.S. population. Hispanics and Latinos are 16.3%. And although although these 25 counties reflect just 1% of all U.S. counties, they accounted for 30% of all abortions in the United States in 2014. Now, that comes from Life Issues Institute research um, that was reported in Town Hall September 23rd of this year, 2020. Uh, you can you can look that up. You can Google that, uh, and you can find that article again validated. Here's another statistic: for every 1,000 live births, non-Hispanic Black women had 401 abortions. 401 out of a thousand. For non-Hispanic white women, there was 109 abortions per 1,000 live births. Another interesting statistic. Planned Parenthood of Greater New York 
recently removed the name of Margaret Sanger, who is the founder of Planned Parenthood. And if you wanted to, to see really what is behind the founder of Planned Parenthood, um, you just need to go and read some of her writings and some of her journals. I'm going to quote this, some of these in just a few moments, in just a second. But, but she was the founder of Planned Parenthood, and, and due to her own documented racist and eugenic ideologies, the Planned Parenthood of Greater New York decided to remove the name of Margaret Sanger. In, in her journal, in Margaret Sanger's journal, The Birth Control Review, it frequently highlighted the mission of its, of its parent organization. Here's a quote. The American Birth Control League, its aim is to promote eugenic birth selection throughout the United States so that there may be more well-born and fewer ill-born children, a stronger, healthier, and more intelligent race, end quote. That comes from an advertisement in the Birth Control Review, Volume 1, Number 1, in October of 1933. You can find it on page 8. And when we think about eugenics, this is exactly what the Nazis practiced. This was, this was in Nazi Germany, that they were eliminating anyone that they would see would be a, a, a disgrace or a mark against the race of the Nazi people. Th th that was eugenics. Go back and look at history. And I'm not talking about revisionist history. I'm talking about true history, and you will see this. Margaret Sanger also wrote this, Before eugenists and others who are laboring for racial betterment can succeed, they must first clear the way for birth control. Like the advocates of birth control, the eugenists, for instance, are seeking to assist the race toward the elimination of the unfit. Are you getting this? Elimination of the unfit. Birth control, the quote goes on to say, of itself by freeing the re reproductive instinct from its present chains will make a better race. Eugenics without birth control seems to us a house built upon the sands. It is at the mercy of the rising stream of the unfit. Again, that was Margaret Sanger who said that in birth control and racial betterment, it was in the birth control review, this is her journals, uh, in February of 1919. So for, for someone who professes to be a follower of Jesus, yet seeks to justify the killing of preborn children by means of abortion, what defense do you give to the giver of life, the one who created these children in his image? I, I don't think texting him a link to your favorite podcaster's woke view on pro-life is going to suffice. Or that well-meaning blog post that seeks to articulate compassion for those who are post-womb and in need of loving care, yet doesn't have an issue with a woman's choice to have an abortion that rings hollow. It's seriously, though, how would you respond to the righteous judge? When we look at what's going on across the landscape of our, of our society, it's becoming very clear, increasingly clear, that life is no longer valued as precious and priceless, but, but it's treated as non-essential and expendable. And the issue of abortion, it, it may be fought in the political arena and played out in the media outlets of our culture, but, but you need to understand this that this issue is not a political one. It is biblical. It is spiritual. And as a culture, we want a religion and a text that tends to bend our preferences. If what Scripture teaches isn't convenient for us or comfortable, then what tends to happen is people undermine it. They twist it. They ignore it. They reinterpret it. And they even relabel it, saying that you can be pro-life yet pro-abortion. That's insane. So, so here's what I think. We've heard all of the rhetoric. We've heard all of the stuff when it comes to what's taking place with the unrest in our culture and 
and we've been hearing a lot about defunding the police and, and all these, th- these things, which again, just it defies logic. So my, my, my thought would be is why don't we defund what really needs to be defunded? Primarily Planned Parenthood. And I know that there may be some and on this podcast, uh, most of the people here I'm sure are agreeing with what's being said, but just in the off chance that there's some of you who would say that you're pro-life yet you're pro-abortion and, and you think that Planned Parenthood is a great organization helping women, um, my, my stance and my belief is that we need to defund Planned Parenthood and there's a lot of reasons for that, but I'm going to share some things with you that that where you're able to put the taxpayer money, your tax dollars, where your mouth is, um, if you really want to help um, reduce child poverty, if you want to help with childhood services or or healthcare services for both children and the elderly, and everything else that you would label as pro-life, I've, I've got maybe a suggestion that that could meet those needs, yet at the same time hold the value, the biblical value that life is precious and Life begins at conception in the womb, and that abortion really isn't an option if you are truly a follower of Christ. One of the things I found interesting is that due to the provisions that we find in Obamacare, right, the Affordable Care Act, that Planned Parenthood's, uh, their health centers, and I'll put that in quotes, they're no longer necessary for women to receive convenient care regardless of, of their financial status. Because under the Affordable Care Act, women are able to receive preventative services and if you want to find this out, you can actually go to ObamacareFacts.com and you could go to their website, actually, and look and see all the, the, the health services that are available for women. Now, this podcast is not here talking about do there need to be better care for women's health care, uh, more money given to that. Um, that's for another podcast as well. But I'm just making this, the, the point that we really don't need Planned Parenthood's quote-unquote health centers because the Affordable Care Act, um, Obamacare, um, provides services for women in, in other um, medical uh, communities and facilities, right? So, so here's what, what I've, I've found from this website regarding Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act. This is a quote. Women across America will benefit, this is from the website, by the way. Women across America will benefit from the new provisions and protections in the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. Under the Affordable Care Act, women have access to a large number of preventative services at no cost on health coverage that has to follow the Affordable Care Act's rules. For example, marketplace plans and full benefit employer plans. These services include well woman visits, gestational gestational diabetes screening that helps protect pregnant women from one of the most serious pregnancy-related diseases, domestic and interpersonal violence screening and counseling, FDA-approved contraceptive methods and contraceptive education and counseling, uh, breastfeeding support, supplies and counseling, HPV, DNA testing for women 30 or older, sexually transmitted infections counseling for sexually active women, HIV screening and counseling for sexually active women, mammograms, colonoscopies, that's been going on since 2010 that they provided for that, and there's many others. I mean, we could list more on that. But the reason I'm mentioning this is because this argument has been made, and it continues to be made, that to defund Planned Parenthood or federal tax dollars of federal tax dollars, it would threaten the health care of women and prevent them from having services that are offered by Planned Parenthood. But of the over $600 million that Planned Parenthood receives from the federal and tax uh, the federal and state tax dollars, the, the services, right, and I'm going to put that in quotes as well, provided by them are made available at other health facilities. For states that have not opted out of, the, uh, of abortion coverage that's offered by the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, taxpayers are in effect, they're paying for abortion coverage. And the fact is that with 
Obamacare's provisions, Planned Parenthood is, is, is not necessary in order for these services to be made available. There's not. Even though Planned Parenthood claims that only 3.5% of all services performed at their facilities nationwide are abortions, their numbers are, are skewed. And the reason why is because of how they calculate these numbers. Um, th- there's a, a lady by, name, by the name of Alexandra DeSanctis of the National Review, and she reported this, and here's a quote from her report in the National Review. Quote, to understand why this is wrong, consider how Planned Parenthood obtains this statistic. Talking about the 3.5%, by the way, of all the services that were performed uh, nationwide are only, uh, only, only 3.5% of abortions. So here's what she's saying. This is how they calculate that percentage. She said, by calculating abortion as a percentage of its services rather than calculating what percentage of its clients show up primarily for an abortion. For instance, if a woman comes to Planned Parenthood for an abortion, but while she's there obtains a pregnancy test, an STD test, and a well-woman exam, and is given contraceptives on her way out the door, the organization would record the abortion she received as just one-fifth of the services that Planned Parenthood performed. So this does, does little to capture the true part that abortion plays in Planned Parenthood's business, nor does it acknowledge the fact that abortion is by far the most expensive procedure the group offers, end quote. Another reporter for USA Today, her name is Haley Bamiller. She reported this, um, that in 2019, Planned Parenthood performed more than 345,000 abortions, accounting for 40 to 50% of abortions nationwide. Now, that's reported in, a, in a, her article she wrote in USA Today, May 5th of this year, 2020. Now, according to Planned Parenthood's reports, the number of non-abortion services performed between October 2017 and September 2018 decreased significantly. You can find that in Washington Times, January 6, 2020 as well. Even Planned Parenthood, you know, they released their annual report, um, and they really don't try to hide a whole lot in that report. There are a lot of things they do try to hide um, that we've seen have become uncovered. Um, you're not, again, you're not going to see that on the, the major news media outlets. But even in Planned Parenthood's own 2018 and 2019 annual report, they indicated that they had received $616.8 million in American taxpayer funds, which was an increase of almost 10% from the $563.8 million it received in 2017-2018. In their report, here's what's stated. This is their quote from their report. Government health services, reimbursements, and grants remain the largest source of income for Planned Parenthood at 37%, largely from the Medicaid program, followed by, quote, private contributions and bequests, end quote, which was 36%. According to Live Action News, Planned Parenthood's taxpayer income over the last decade, over the last 10 years, has risen 69, almost 70%, from $363 million in 2008 to $616.8 million in taxpayer dollars in 2018. Their total revenue in 2018-2019 was more than $1.6 billion, with a B, $1.6 billion, and its net assets for the year was nearly $2 billion. Now, here's why I'm sharing sharing these facts with you about Planned Parenthood and their their quote-unquote services and their financials. It's to point out that the core of Planned Parenthood is a money-making industry at the expense of unborn children and women. That's it. I mean, if you look at the facts, which have seemingly become non-essential in our current culture and purport an illogical argument that this is about a woman's health and reproductive health care, which is what Planned Parenthood would say, and not about a 
quote, nonprofit, which they would claim to be organization, that is profiting greatly from the killing of unborn children up to full term. It is, again, asinine. It's ludicrous, to say the least. And here's something interesting, too, I found that was fascinating, not surprising, that Planned Parenthood in this election, this current election that we're in now, which, again, this is November 3rd, this is Election Day. If you've not already gotten out and vote, you need to get out and vote, which by the time this airs, the polls will probably be closed. Um, unless you mail in a ballot in Pennsylvania, and then you can probably get it counted up to a week or a month. Who knows, right? Um, but I digress. So but Planned Parenthood, in this election alone, has spent $45 million leading up to the election, specifically funding and supporting political candidates, such as Joe Biden and, and Kamala Harris, or Kamala Harris, or however you choose to say it. She said it both ways, so I'm not really sure what how she pronounces it. And, and, but, but they have directed these funds to support political candidates in a party that wholeheartedly supports and champions late-term abortion. And that's very telling of the threat that exists to their lucrative yet evil endeavors. So, so you see what's going on with Planned Parenthood. There's, there's nothing that's helpful about this organization um, as a whole. So, so here's, here's my thought, that if you want to make a difference— for those who would say they're pro-life, but but they but they are pro-abortion as well, which again doesn't make sense. If you want to make a difference, here's what I would say: support reallocating federal and state funds from Planned Parenthood to child services, not to a platform that champions infanticide and genocide. So, in other words, put your tax money and your time where your mouth is. So, for a person who professes to be pro-life yet they're in favor of supporting and funding abortion even up to full term. When I think of it, that person has lost any moral authority when it comes to being "quote unquote" pro-life after a child is born. You have no moral authority in that regard. If you say that you you believe in abortion yet you're pro-life, again, you have to get out of the womb to get to the tomb. So it just it it, it their logic is illogical. So so here's what I would say: if 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 the concern is the care for a child post-birth, or even people as a whole, then I would suggest supporting local, state, and national candidates and officials who are truly pro-life. They believe in, in that life begins at conception. Um, they don't believe in abortion. As well as push for legislation that will reallocate funds directed to Planned Parenthood to government-funded child services. If you really want to make a difference, then, then push for that. According to Urban Institute's uh, Kids Share 2020 report on federal spending, and their 2019 and future projections, this was a July 2020 report, federal spending on children amounted to $408 billion, or just 9% of the federal budget. In comparison, 45% of 2019 outlays were went towards health and retirement benefits for adults through Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. 15% went towards defense spending, and 8% went to interest on the federal debt. So, so a thought that we might kind of just wrap our minds around a little bit is rather than give the $600 million plus to Planned Parenthood, why not redirect those to organizations that really do focus on specific areas that are truly pro-life? For example, adoption agencies or, or agencies that help fight child poverty or child health services and, or you, you name it. If you want to make a difference that express womb to tomb, pro-life beliefs and convictions, then get behind these causes by engaging with your time and your resources. So, for example, again, adoption agencies. Did you know that only 4% of women with unwanted pregnancies place their children through adoption? 
Only 4% of women who have unwanted pregnancies place their children through adoption. Even for those who say there aren't enough who will adopt, and I've I've heard people say that, adoption saves the lives of 140,000 children each year. The other thing about that is some would say, well, I just can't afford it. There is financial assistance available, but reallocating federal and state funds used for abortion to adoption and foster care services would help significantly. I mean, I honestly don't know how anyone who's pro-life could argue against that. Another way is, is fighting child poverty. According to a 2020 report from the United States Census Bureau and the Peter G. Peterson Foundation, child poverty remains a very significant and costly issue in the United States. In 2019, um, the child poverty rate was 14.4%, which is significantly higher than the 9.4% poverty rate for adults and 8.9% poverty rate for seniors. So fighting child poverty is a very noble and good thing. I see that as being pro-life, that it's helping children, helping people. It's not just children who are in poverty, but also adults as well. But I'm focusing on children right now specifically, Um, although we could talk about adult services as well. Another one is child health services. There needs to be more attention, without a doubt, given to children who are in need of not only medical, dental, and eye care, but also mental health care as well. I mean, for me personally, having become involved in helping school-aged children and students get the mental health care they need. I have seen firsthand this lack of the lack of quality resources uh, that's available and provides consistent, stable, and compassionate care for these kids and their parents or their guardians. I've seen this. I've gone into the schools. That's what I'm involved with right now on a full-time basis, as well as serving as um, a pastor in a, in a church here where, where I'm located. I've seen this. And, 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 and this COVID, this pandemic has only accelerated that. You, you, you throw in life situations, what's going on in the homes, what's happening with their parents, the divorces that are taking place. Um, you, you see the fact that they're in homes where there's drug addiction, alcohol addiction, um, all, all other things that are taking place that are causing a lot of stress and, and that are exacerbating these mental health issues. It is, uh, it is, it's overwhelming. It really is. And there needs to be more that's directed to these children and even adults as it pertains to mental health care. Another one is, is what you could do is you could give time. You could volunteer your time to child services. For example, what about mentoring kids through organizations and churches? That's a great place to, to help out and be pro-life or coaching local sports teams or advocacy groups that speak up and fight for children who are facing difficult and traumatic situations. Maybe tutoring children who are in desperate need of one-on-one attention. Right now, our teachers are doing a noble job of trying to to balance and navigate this on-campus teaching and online teaching. And I can't imagine the stress that many of our teachers are going through right now. And how helpful would it be to come alongside our educators and say, you know what, I'm willing to help tutor children um, who are in desperate need of one-on-one attention. Because a lot of them aren't getting it at home. Uh, Help from parents or guardians. Um, They're just kind of, these children are just falling through the crack and Honestly, ed- their education is, is suffering right now. And another way you can, do, you can help is by give financially to organizations that, that, are, that may be poorly funded, and most of them are, yet they're legitimately having a positive impact in the lives of children. Those are some practical things we can do to be pro-life. Yes, let's address situations and issues that need to be addressed once children are born. We need to not ignore that. And, and regardless if you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, Libertarian, whatever, um, we all should be able to get behind helping human beings become better and pouring into them. Um, but never, never at the detriment of, of 
sacrificing the truth, specifically the truth of Scripture that points to us that all of life is precious, that we've been created in the image of God, that we are image bearers of God. There is dignity and there is worth um, in every person um, who has been created in the image of God. And for someone to say that they are pro-life and yet be pro-abortion, it just doesn't add up. Biblically, that is not correct. And for those who have signed, who profess to be believers in Christ, who have signed an agreement, a statement, the 4,000 evangelicals, and I'm using that term very loosely, who would say that they could be uh, for Biden or any other candidate for that matter who's pro-abortion, yet call themselves pro-life, needs to repent. Now, that's not my uh, judgment. That's what Scripture would say. Just go back and read through Scripture um, and what happened for those who sacrificed children, um, genocide, infanticide, what we see happening with abortion. The truth is every single life matters. Every single life matters. I know for some people, they they get triggered or they become offended by the statement, all lives matter, every life matters, but you know what? They do, because every life has been created in the image of God. White people matter, black people matter, Hispanic people matter, Asian people matter. We could go down the list of, of all the different races that God has created in his genius and by his sovereignty, and every single life matters. Every single one. And so so as I we've been discussing this and talking about this rather on this podcast, this episode, I understand that pro-life is not just pro-children, it's for the, but for the sake of what we wanted to talk about today— Um, just know that what I've shared with you is foundational, and it speaks to the truth that all life, from womb to tomb, is of great value. So I'm going to close our episode with this, that if you profess to be a follower of Jesus, then I challenge you to do a couple things. The first thing is this. Study the words of Jesus, not, not just portions of the word, but study the words of Jesus and the whole counsel of God's word and see what he says about life. Not your definition or your adaptation of life, not another person's opinionated blog about their definition of life, but what does God say about life? And don't take scripture out of context, right? Um, a, a text taken out of context is a pretext. So, so, so take God's word, the whole counsel of God's word, and what does God say about life? And here's the second thing. When you stand before Jesus, and we all will, I will, you will, every single person, what defense will you give for the beliefs you held and actions you took or didn't take regarding life? So that's, that's it for this episode as we have talked about this cultural reality of what's going on as it relates to what pro-life truly is versus what some would like for it to be. And my hope and my prayer is that you would realize that you have been created in the image of God, that you have intrinsic worth and value, and that God put an exclamation point on that by sending his son, Jesus Christ, down the cross for the sins of humanity, for our sins, so that we could experience not just life in this world that is precious, but life that is to come, eternal life. And I hope and pray that if you do not have a relationship with God through Jesus, that you would come to know and understand what it means to know him and to trust him as Savior, to repent, or that word repent just means to turn from your sin and to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin that you might have life. Life does matter, and life is worth fighting for. The lives of these unborn children, these preborn children, it is worth fighting for and not giving up on this and speaking the truth and doing so in love. So I hope as you have listened to this podcast, you have been encouraged, challenged, 
And I hope you'll share this with, with your friends. Share it with people who maybe are struggling with this and where they stand. Share it with them and do so in a very gracious, loving, and compassionate way. So until next time, I hope you have a great day, a great week, and we'll see you on the next episode of Crossroads and Culture, where life, ministry, and culture are.